This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is David Pryor, co-founder and CEO of Pryor, one of the most innovative travel companies I know. The travel industry makes up 10% of the world's GDP. It accounts for hundreds of millions of jobs. Listen in now as David talks about the future of travel, preserving both culture and optimism, and finding a new sense of belonging at home. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for David. David, hi. Hi. How are you, Howie? I'm okay. How are you? Hanging in there. Strangely optimistic today. So you run a really beautiful, ambitious uh, travel and experience company that brings people all over the world deeply into culture. How's this affecting your business so far? It's a nuclear bomb that that went off underneath uh, the business and the entire industry. I, I mean, actually, I should say it's a tsunami um, because we saw it coming slightly before um, everyone else did. So actually the, the nuclear bomb um, analogy is, is wrong. It's a tsunami. Uh, and we were on slightly higher ground looking at it coming at us um, because people started to cancel, you know, two months ago. Then it was, then the momentum built and built and built and built as it kind of hit each country. Uh, Italy, Japan, you know, the two of our biggest destinations. Um, so we were seeing it ha- coming towards us. And yeah, it's basically reduced uh, everything to zero in the next few months, certainly. Tell me about the conversations you were having with people on the ground in Italy and Japan during that time. Well, uh, we, we were working with all sorts of different from people kind of outside of the travel industry and in the travel industry to create different types of experiences. We're a new company. So we're really trying to challenge what uh, a typical travel experience might be. So we were working on special dinners in, in private homes or different kinds of tours or opening up private art collections. So I mean, it's quite devastating because we poured so much creativity and collaboration into those experiences and to see them not only just evaporate um, from a financial perspective for our full global network, but to see the creativity be paused um, both from our team's end and from their perspective is heartbreaking. Can you give me an example of of some of those special things that you were planning? Yeah, so we do these things called nomadic clubhouses um, because we sort of are a a club model, a membership model, a community, let's say. And so we pop up uh, these experiences uh, where we take over an entire hotel or house or property or camp around the world and we create these experiences around a particular culture or skill acquisition or personality uh, and one of them that I was particularly excited about and that we had to cancel really the day before it started was um, in India uh, we were taking over a palace of one of the of the Maharaja uh, for Holi which is the the celebration of spring and the color 
celebration, which is this extraordinary thing in Jaipur. Uh, and throughout that weekend, we'd worked with um, ateliers of uh, block printers and we had a particular dinner, kind of an unprecedented dinner in the blue room of the family palace. And there were all sorts of experiences that were kind of mind blowing because we don't think of ourselves in any way as a travel agent. We work with people on the ground to build these experiences that kind of have an element of magical realism, let's say, of, of romance, of elevation. Like we're very um, loyal to what the place is and, and the reality of the place, but it's kind of turning the volume up on that a little bit. And our people on the ground there love that because it's, it's celebrating their culture in the most vivid way. It also for us is fulfilling a dream and a fantasy for our members. Um, so to cancel that experience um, 24 hours before it began was like completely devastating, I have to say. But we immediately called our all of our guides, all of our ateliers, uh, the hotel owners, um, the royal family, and we said, guys, can we do it next year? Like, give us a credit for next year. And they instantly said yes. Um, and that's the kind of cooperation that you're seeing for the most part in the travel industry. Basically, there's a little bit of a mantra of postpone, don't cancel, that we're trying to tell our customers or travelers. Um, and a lot of them have a lot of empathy around that and that has been really surprising um well not surprising it's just been i think people understanding that this is an unprecedented moment for the travel industry and that there needs to be um a little bit of empathy and it's not just cancelling a holiday it's if you're pulling your money out of that you're really destroying a business and I think that people, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't think twice about cancelling a holiday if something changed. But now I think that they're thinking about it almost as an act of, I don't want to say charity, but as a graceful act. There are also people that are not doing that. And that is, is, is really uh, bad behaviour. Scandalous. Yeah, I, I, I think I so think too. it is, actually. I think it is. Like, there's been some really appalling behaviour. Um, Look, I don't want to... In terms of money cap. I think, yeah, look, I don't, there's, there's a couple of different scenarios that we need to be uh, mindful of. There's plenty of people who, whose income and livelihood has been taken away. And so, of course, they want to retain as much cash as they can, completely get that. But there are others that certainly can weather that storm um, who, you know, just felt like it. Um, and that's and also the way that's also just horrible behavior in an industry that's supposed to be about welcoming. I mean, the reason the travel industry has grown to what it is and and its size is is massive. Travel and tourism accounts for something like ten percent of the global GDP, and it's a number that's been climbing. It represents you know something like three hundred and fifty million jobs worldwide. Um, and it only works because operators extend their generosity and their hospitality and their and their warmth. Nobody's going to want to 
travel somewhere cold and, and unforgiving with draconian refund policies, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you, you can forgive, but you don't forget in this situation. Um, most of the people in the travel industry, like when we're talking the typical travel industry, the, the hoteliers, the guides, the, the people that you are speaking about in that 350 million have been incredibly uh, gracious around that and, and working together. And so that has been um, amazing. But the other thing that you have to remember, I think, is that it's the travel industry itself is not just um, those 350 million people. It's the entire hospitality business. And it's the, the, the guides, it's, it's museums, it's institutions. Like, it's a, the travel industry is the culture industry, actually. And that's the scary thing for me beyond um, the infrastructure of having travel, the travel business paused. It's what happens when culture is paused for a year? That, that is, uh, is terrifying, I think. You were giving me some examples of, of that uh, before we started this conversation. I'm wondering if you could go through those again specifically. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like we, the thing, one of the things that I, I love and my team loves, and one of the reasons we exist is we uh, love to celebrate um, cultural festivals, like traditional cultural festivals. Part of the reason uh, we love that is putting a spotlight on those traditions and introducing them to people in a sensitive way um, is because I think that that helps to maintain them. So, for example, in a couple of weeks, it'll be Semana Santa in Seville, which is the you know, whole, which is Holy Week, which is this extraordinary expression of Catholicism. Now, and it's in, it's absolutely incredible. The first time that I went there, I don't know, I was probably twenty two, and you, the the processions um, of uh, people dressed in partic- like particular Catholic robes. They have these incredible processions where they where they um, take crucifix the, the crucifix through the streets and the, like the completely labyrinthine uh, streets of Seville and like it's a crush of people and I got stuck in a street the first time that I went there because it goes all night I had to stand there for the entire night but it was one of the most moving experiences of my entire life um, and the streets will be empty how do they do that I mean you can't do that on zoom um, and I wonder how that will affect next year. I mean, then a month later in Seville too, they have the Feria, which is one of the most vibrant uh, expressions of culture. I mean, Spain is amazing at this. It's the full flamenco. It's the horse riding fair. It's, the, it's uh, an amazing coming together of community and expression of culture. I I wonder what happens when that's paused for a year. Uh, and I wonder also like what, what gathering, what mass gatherings of people, what, do, what does that look like in a year? I'm very optimistic about this, but I also am, am asking the question in, the, in my sort of darker moments. <laughs> 
It's true. I mean, these are our long-lasting traditions that people have fought to preserve and, and put on. And now when the very notion of being together is at stake, in, in a way, you do have to wonder what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that ultimately what's going to come out of this is... Um, I think there are already a couple of forces happening in the world um, in reaction to a lot of others. Um, one was that people crave experiences. Um, it's a big cliche, of course, but they, they want experiences over, over stuff. It's like, I am the person that I am because I do these experiences rather than my, the handbag I have or the car that I have in um, the garage. I think that that's happening and has always happened. And that's part of the reason I started the company. And also the other thing is that I think people want to be connected more. Um, I think it's been fascinating to me when we've created these clubhouse and small group experiences, uh, the, the, the demographic that's actually coming on those, you would think it would be a baby boomer situation, like a two week trip to Egypt. But because they're shorter, they're like kind of like a destination wedding. They're probably three days and it's it's coming around the table and it's experiencing something together in a kind of convivial way. Um, I feel that people want that kind of connection. Um, so those two forces were already happening. What I think in this pause, what, uh, what will actually happen and I hope is what will happen um, and not just from a self-interested point of view in terms of having a travel company, I think that there will be an explosion of people wanting both to have experiences and to define themselves by those experiences. And those experiences will be richer and more sensual because you will feel all of those different um, smells, sights, sounds, the kinds of things that... You, I think we've taken for granted when we're traveling. I think you feel them in su such an intense way. And then also, I think, you know, people are going to want to connect so deeply with each other. Uh, the, you know, the exquisite irony of everyone being so connected across Zoom and Instagram, DMing and being in everyone's face on FaceTime and connecting with their family, you know, this idea of connection. Um, it's not. We're actually, right now is the most disconnected moment in the history of the planet, probably. Um, so I think connection is the key word. And that's where I'm going to drive to. Uh, that's where I believe the future of travel is. Um, I hope. I hope. Do you think the money will be there to support it? Um, I think that's going to take some time. Um, that's an interesting question. I think people that will survive this, um, what is looking like to be a, a, a deep recession, will, will, will immediately travel again. I think there will be a chunk of those people, the kind of people that are more, for lack of a better description, globalists. I think that they'll immediately um, travel again once, that, once it is safe to do so. Um, but do I think that... I think that there'll be a, a pause on the mid-market and I think um, like the, the egregious luxury uh, world, I think will uh, be suspended. Um, I, 
I don't like the, I, I mean, it, that's kind of an anathema to me, the, that kind of over-the-top, um, wasteful, indulgent kind of idea of luxury. That's not my idea of the definition of that word. In fact, I think we do much more of a high-low situation and I, don't, I think that that world will be affected and, and that's a good thing, actually. Um, but I think people will we really want those kind of I, I always say high 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 road low road never middle road i think that it's the the middle that will be um really gutted but i think people will really appreciate the simple experiences and then they'll invest in um really special experiences um that's where i think we'll go i've heard you describe your planning process as romance with rigor I'm wondering how you sustain the romance during these times. I think that we're doubling down on telling stories um, in in order to reach our community. Um, we did a really beautiful story on tea yesterday um, because, you know, uh, that longitude of tea reaches so many different um, cultures and and one of the lines in the story, which was, I think, very cleverly written um, by one of our team members was that when you're going for coffee with someone, you know, that's like, oh, let's meet for coffee. That's like a 15 minute situation or a half an hour. But when you're having tea with someone, that's a very different, um, that's a very different experience, you know. So uh, it, the romance of, of that, uh, thinking about a Japanese tea ceremony thinking about um, high tea at Claridge's. Actually, that reminds me, Claridge's, um, which is a hotel that we use very often because it's kind of the great, for me, the great iconic uh, Grand Dame Hotel in London. Claridge's is housing um, a lot of NHS workers. And I see some amazing, amazing um, uh, travel industry people really stepping up. so I, I don't know, I think what we're doing on um, our kind of branding, let's say, our, our um, point of view has always been um, super romantic. Like we don't have so much like stock images of like someone lying on a beach. Instead, it's these collages of, you know, Egypt, of all of the different aspects of it. Uh, it's always been a little bit fantastical. And I think that's really resonating with people because it's inspiring a sense of um, fantasy because I think one of the the things that we can do to really make ourselves a little cheerier is to think about where we're going to go next. And I think that um, there's, yeah, there's ways to to romanticize a particular place. I mean, the rigor part means that we're very faithful to the culture. It's not some kind of Disneyland version of it. It's, it's, it's taking out, it's editing what is beautiful about a particular culture or, or place or, or people even, and, and putting a spotlight on them, like having the 50,000 foot view you know, sometimes when you're traveling to a particular place, someone will take you to their favorite restaurant or the restaurant of the moment. And it might be a sushi restaurant in Milan. Well, you don't want to go to a sushi restaurant. You want to go to an osteria. Um, so we sort of, we edit in that way. Like what's the best of a particular version of the place, you know? 
it's 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 telling the story of the diversity of a particular place and the romance is there because the world is so incredible i mean that's the fun of this of of what we do it's 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 putting people in in a story um of a particular place and yeah i mean telling what we have to do for now is is tell that digitally and uh reach our audience in um in that way but we're not going to we're going to pump that romance up we're not going to um tone that down and i'm quite happy about that i love that you're somebody who's on a plane all the time. You're you're somewhere different weekly sometimes. Right now you are grounded in, in New York and I've I've been watching your own social media post and one of the things that's kind of come through is is you've really bonded with, with the city. You really feel a part of it. Can you tell me about how that intimacy has uh manifested because of all this? Yeah, I mean the problem with traveling to some so many different places is that you get to see the great aspects of certain cities, right? I mean, in Sydney, I, uh, you can live on the beach and you can surf in the morning and in the evening and have a, 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 a you know, a global job and eat at a freaking fantastic restaurant as well. And you go, well, that's amazing. I love that part of that city or, you know, I love the the bar culture of Milan or, you know, London's food scene or, you know, wherever it might be. The problem about um, traveling to these places and experiencing them in a deep way is that you can't really settle in a particular place because you go, oh, it's so much better there. Um, But this experience of being grounded in New York has made me really see New Yorkers and really um appreciate my neighborhood um and yeah i i feel like i feel like i am from this city now and i've not felt like that ever um because the city that i grew up in i i've i never felt like i belonged there so i've been very nomadic um and so now i feel like a new yorker i i, I am a new yorker um and so that's a positive that's come out of this experience of sitting still for a moment. I moved to New York two weeks before 9-11. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, and, and you know, I'm from, from the Midwest and didn't know how it was going to go and if I was going to feel a part of it in, in any way. And there's something about disaster and, and tragedy that can either push you away really fast or bond you to something in ways you've never imagined. And I, I think, you know, you're experiencing a similar thing. Right. I, I, I should certainly, my co-founder, um, Mark, who, you know, who is one of, uh, the, the nicest, most sensitive, uh, cleverest people that I know, um, All true. worked in, in, yeah, worked in, um, the world trade center, uh, and just so happened to work through August while everyone else went on vacation and took a week in September with his family. And of course, what happened, happened. He worked for Kenneth Fitzgerald and um, he never tells this story, uh, really. Um, you know, it would be great for us to tell the narrative of, you know, he went on a, on a vacation and a holiday and then decided to focus on ultimately 
creating those experiences and celebrating those experiences um, for other people. But, you know, I do think that that had a profound effect on the way he viewed his value system. And we don't talk about it much, but I, um, I know that. And it's been very interesting to see him lead me. I mean, I lead the team more directly and there's a lot of young like very clever, very creative, but basically kids on this team that that are from all, all over the world that work on our team and um, carrying that burden of them being frightened because I can tell that they are. Um, I couldn't do it without Mark's, um, Mark in the background, very gently steering me um, around this. And I know that 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 experience comes from that terrible experience that he had. Yeah, and similarly, this this will shape us all as well. Uh, David, the show's called Takeaway Only. I'm wondering what your big takeaway has been from going through this pandemic. Um, the one word that keeps coming back to me and the way that I will pivot the business. I mean, I've said to you that connection was one of these big forces that that we the reason why we created a, a club, a membership, a community, a values-driven business is because I think people crave connection. Um, my big takeaway is that we think we're connected. We're actually disconnected. When we get out of this, we're going to be wanting to be connected both to each other, to the places that we travel to. Um, and I think ultimately this terrible moment that we're in will lead to something uh, of a a more global connection. And I think I don't, I haven't crystallized my thoughts, but that word is there in my head constantly. Um, And I think, yeah, I can tell you that it's something to do with connection. David, thank you very much for connecting with me here. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and I love what you guys are doing. It's really um, an honor and I, uh, I've listened to all the episodes and I feel um, very, very privileged to, to be part of that and I um, am proud to be part of the hospitality industry. Thank you, David. No worries. Of course. Thanks, Howie. That was David Pryor. You can follow him on Instagram at David Pryor, and you can learn more about traveling with Pryor at www.pryor.club. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles, music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.